lovely. Man. <laughs> Numbers chapter 19 this morning. Really good to have everybody here today. Some visitors, some people we haven't seen in a while. We sure do love you. Sure glad you came. And hopefully, as I've said before, like the old preacher said, I won't ruin your little dinner. Amen. <laughs> Numbers chapter 19. I sure am thankful for my salvation. I don't know what the problem is in everyone's life here today, but you just get thinking about how good God has been to you, and it really puts everything in perspective. Think about how he suffered and bled and died and took everything that you and I deserve. Man, I'll tell you what, that'll get you and me down the road. Numbers chapter 19, when you find it, stand if you'd like. I want to read the first 10 verses and attempt, notice I said attempt, to preach this passage here this morning. Numbers chapter 19, the Bible says, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law, which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. And he shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. And Eleazar the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin and her flesh and her blood, with her dung shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it in the midst of the burning of the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. And he shall bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until the even. And he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water, and bathe his flesh in water, and, sh- and shall be unclean until the even. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. And he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even, and it shall be unto the children of Israel and unto the stranger that sojourneth among them for a statute forever. I'd like to ask Brother Jared if he'd ask the Lord for help in the preaching this morning. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here in chapter 19, we come to a place in Scripture with some beautiful and actually, quite frankly, just some magnificent typologies in the Word of God. You'll, uh, while you read the chapter, you'll notice that it's only 22 verses long. It's actually a pretty quick read if you're reading through your Bible. And interesting enough, here in uh, verse number 4, we find the word seven times. And then for a reason that I can't explain, besides of the picture and type in the chapter, what you have listed after seven times throughout the remaining of the chapter is seven different times where the word seven occurs. 
just reinforcing to me that what is uh, talked about in these chapters is a perfect illustration, if there a perfect illustration could ever be. And I know when you read through your Bible, like we said last week, when we're dealing with the minute details in scriptures, you get to these places, and sometimes you got to drop the anchor down a little bit, and it slows it down, and it doesn't flow. And I think if you're not careful, just like I have not been careful many times, I believe when you get here, you'll see that it's 22 verses long and go, well, praise the Lord, it's only 22 verses long, and we're going to get this thing done. But what, like the old timers say, and I never could understand it, why don't you go ahead and take your shoes off and just go ahead and stay a while. And let me exhort you as your pastor, you have an awesome book. Is that okay to say it? That's not too uh, progressive to say awesome, is it? You've got an excellent book in your lap. And can I just encourage you that while you should read your Bible for content, amen, you should read your Bible systematically. You should do the best that you can to try to get through it from Genesis to Resolutions uh, if you possibly can on a yearly basis. If you can't, well, work harder next year, amen. Try to get a little bit more of that book. Why? Because Jesus Christ said, the words that I speak, they are spirit, they are life. But why you should read it for content, can I encourage you that sometimes when you get to these places that seem most difficult to go ahead and just slow it down a little bit. I've had to read this a number of times and even after as many times as I've read it, I'm not going to stand before you today and say, I've got it down, because I surely don't. But it wasn't until I slowed down and slowed down he said, well, you're the pastor, you're supposed to slow down. Okay, well, you're the sheep, you're supposed to slow down. You know, if you eat too fast, right, you forget you ate sometimes. The old man used to say, he, he never used to let us eat uh, uh, dinner. Uh, let me clarify it, he let me eat dinner plenty of times. But he never used to let me eat dinner and watch TV, right? Because he'd say, well, you forgot your ate. I forgot I ate all the time anyway, it doesn't matter. But what he wanted me to do is he, uh, he often wanted me to slow down and enjoy it. Let me just exhort you this morning, not the message this morning, but let me encourage you, let me exhort you to go ahead and slow down when you read your Bible. Slow down and you say, well, how much Bible should I read as a Christian? Well, it's just kind of like going to the dinner table. I believe you should read until you're full. And some days you eat quite a bit, don't you? (laughs) Sometimes you don't eat so much. But if you're going by that methodology, not only should you read it for content, you should read it systematically. But sometimes it pays to just go ahead and take your shoes off and just put the coffee on and stay a while. You realize, and we'll go over this later, but the many times the Lord won't deal with a man until you've learned to stay a while. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. I just want to encourage you before we get into the message this morning because everyone's got a busy life. Everyone's got a busy schedule. Everyone's got a hundred things going on. But never, never, never think that you can't take time to read a little bit of this book. It'll help you out. And I want to encourage you that, but here in chapter 9, the Lord speaks to both Moses and Aaron about this red heifer and its purification for sin. So while it's strictly to Israel and the ordinance of the law, it has some great applications and types for you and me as a child of God and to people, as you see in verse 10, it also has some applications to the stranger too, which would be any man who's lost. And there's a few things I want to show you here this morning if God will give me the clarity and he'll help me do this. Can I show you, first of all, number one, that a great deal of care was implored, was employed in the gathering of this offering. A great deal of care was gathered 
uh, was employed in the gathering of this offering. Notice here in verses 2, the Bible says, This is the ordinance of the law, which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came you yoke. Uh, so much care more than any other offering in the Old Testament law. This is the greatest care was employed about this thing. Well, first of all, you know what I see here in, involved in the care of this uh, offering? It's rarity. First of all, this heifer was red. This is the only time you read in the scripture that this thing was red. You say, well, is a red heifer rare? Well, in the sense of that uh, it had to be uh, all the rest of those details, yes. Is it uncommon for a heifer to be red? Not necessarily, but its rarity is that it was red. You ever stop and think that Christ, as a man, as a man, Christ was the son of Adam. Adam means red-brown, right? So, Jesus Christ, he is our what? He is our second Adam. All right, so therefore, you have the picture and type right here in the scriptures. This red heifer typifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is it rarity in that it's red, but how about this? It's irreproachableness. It's irreproachableness. Look at verse 2. It says it's without spot. It's without spot. And uh, that uh, ought to ring some bells to people who read the Bible. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, there it is, and without spot, without spot. It's irreproachable. It was red, it's rarity, it's irreproachableness. It was without spot. And of course, the next one we just read also, it deals with its refinement. It was without blemish. It was literally a perfect specimen of this heifer. Tradition states, whatever that means to anybody, uh, it's just tradition states there could even be two black hairs on this thing. So I'm telling you what, when they looked at this red heifer, they were looking at it with a magnifying glass or a fine-tooth comb or however you say that, and its refinement, it could have no blemish whatsoever. I'm just showing you the great deal of care that was employed in getting and obtaining this sacrifice. And I stop and think about Jesus Christ was the propitiation, the only pleasing sacrifice for our sin. And just like it took a great deal of care and employed a great deal of care to find something as rare as that red heifer and as uh, irreproachable as that red heifer without spot and its refinement without blemish. Uh, finally here I want you to see here uh, that the great deal of care that was employed was its readiness. Its readiness. In verse 2 that passage says, a red heifer without spot wherein is no blemish and upon which never came yoke. Now, of course, we're not talking about no one ever threw eggs at the thing there, but we're talking about it never came under the yoke. No one ever worked it. Stop and think about that, that heifer. If, if you know anything about stock terminology, a heifer has to be in its third year somewhere. And, uh, and it couldn't have, it could, a heifer, uh, if it had mated with a, a bull uh, or it had a calf, it was no longer called a heifer. So it's, a, it's, it's pure. It's refined, and here it says here, uh, no, never came yoke, it's ready. And you know what Jesus Christ was to us? He was ready to come take care of business for you and me. He was ready. The Bible says here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. I don't know if you ever stop and think about it. Do you realize that when Jesus Christ came, even when he was talking with Pilate, he said, for this end did I come. 
for this end. Jesus Christ knew why he was on the earth. He knew why he came. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. No man ever put a yoke on Jesus Christ. He came willingly. He came ready to die for the sins of all mankind. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? Half the time, you and I wake up and you're like, why in the world am I here again? <laughs> right? Come on now. Someone just uh, act like you know what I'm talking about. And you get in your 20s and you're still trying to figure out life. And you get into 30s and you figure, you think you got it figured out. You get into 40s and you don't even know the questions anymore, right? You see what I'm saying? You get, you get to close to 50, you're like, why am I here again? Oh, it's to pay all the bills I created. Amen. That's why I'm here. But Jesus Christ came and he gave himself. For our sins, the Bible says. Not only that, if you look over here in uh, Titus chapter 2.14, says, who gave himself for us. Not only did he give himself for our sins, but he gave himself for you, and he gave himself for me. If you're here today, you know why Jesus came? Because he wanted to give himself for you and your sins. He was the only pleasing sacrifice. He had no blemish. He had no spot. You couldn't find two black hairs on him. He was that perfect specimen of humanity. And he came to this world ready and willing. He came voluntarily. No man had to force him. Can you imagine what, what kind of salvation you would have if the, the, uh, the account of Jesus Christ being taken to Calvary, he was kicking and screaming the whole way? The Bible says just the opposite. The Bible said that he was led as a lamb before his slaughter is dumb. Just like this little low lamb, just bah, bah, following him right up Calvary's hill. Matter of fact, you know, Jesus Christ, he was beaten so badly. They ripped out his beard, they slapped him, they punched him, they whipped him with a cat of nine tails. They just did terrible things to him and took that crown of thorns and put it on his head and beat him on the head with the reed. He lost so much blood, he lost so much strength, they had to get someone else to help carry his cross. But you know what? Every step of the way, he never fought. And even though the Bible says that he was reviled there at the cross, the Bible says he reviled not again. You get to slapping me, there's going to be some really unpastoral things possibly coming from my mouth. Amen? You're like, oh no, you pray for me. Amen? Even Paul, when he was slapped by the high priest there, he says, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. He wasn't quite like Jesus Christ. When the high priest struck Jesus Christ there at Calvary before he went to the cross, you know what he said? Why strikest thou me? He said, if I've done evil, bear witness of the evil. He's like, why'd you hit me? Now, if someone hauled off and whopped me, I probably wouldn't ask him why, and you wouldn't either, would you? You'd be like, here, let me return the favor. Now, we chuckle, but Jesus Christ, he was the perfect specimen. He was ready, who gave himself for our sins, not just our sins, but he gave himself for us. You know why? Because you are a sinner. You're a sinner. No matter what this world tries to tell you, no matter what this world tries to tell me, no matter what they try to force on your kids and the education system, you and I are a sinner. And one day, if you do not trust the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you will spend an eternity in a place called hell and you will burn forever. You say, stop it, you're scaring me. I'd rather scare, you, scare, scare the hell out of you than scare you into hell. 
But this perfect specimen of this red heifer is a perfect type and picture of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.6, it says, Who gave himself, talking about Jesus Christ, a ransom for all. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that Jesus Christ didn't come and say, You know, I'm just going to give myself for the upper class, because I never got saved. You know, the upper crust, the elite. I'm glad he didn't say, well, you know, I feel sorry for all those in poverty and I'm just going to come to this world and I'm going to die for the lower class. I'm going to die for a certain group of people, he said, who came and gave himself a ransom for all. A-double-L, all. He came for all. You say, why do you say that? Because here in the passage of Scripture, it says that red heifer never knew a yoke. No one forced Jesus Christ to come. No one made him come. Matter of fact, can you imagine if you had to do what Jesus Christ did and you had full knowledge and understanding that you're going to be born into this world and you're going to be born uh, by a virgin and you're going to be made fun of all your life and your mother's going to be made fun of. Some of you, you're talking about your mother, you're going to get into a fight with somebody, aren't you? Can you imagine the scorn that Mary had? Jesus Christ was virgin born. On John chapter 8, the, one of the things that the scribes and the Pharisees are going after the Lord for is, we be not born of fornication. They knew it. They're like, yeah, we know, <laughs> we know about you and Joseph and Mary. <laughs> but never knew a yoke. No one forced him to come. No one forced him to come. But the required sacrifice, his rarity, it was red. It's interesting in the scriptures, when thinking about this red heifer, we find Jesus Christ, he's red in his own apparel. He's red in his own apparel that they beat him, slap half to death uh, before he went to the cross. He was red in his own blood. And, by, uh, and when we read the Bible, we find out not only was he red in his own blood, but one day when he comes back at the second coming, he'll be red with the blood of his enemies. You see, not only is it important to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior because you need Him, because without Him one day you will become His enemy. And the blood that's on Him will be your blood. We find Him red with His own apparel, red with His own blood, and red with the blood of His enemies. We find a great deal of care employed here, much more than any other offering. As I look through this chapter and just a preaching passage about the Lord Jesus Christ, seen through this red heifer, can I tell you, not only was there a great deal of care employed by this offering, but there's a great deal of ceremony in the burning of it. A great deal of ceremony in the burning of it. And that's found in verse 3. The Bible says, And ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. Before his face. I see the care of doing it. It was committed to Eleazar the priest. Eliezer the priest, uh, not Aaron the high priest. And if you stop and think about how that thing looks when Jesus Christ was crucified, you know who had the hand of seeing Jesus Christ crucified? It was the chief priest, wasn't it? You see how that thing lines up in the scripture? Eliezer the priest was given the task of burning that red heifer. But yet at Calvary's cross, the people who stirred up the people were the chief priests. That thing fits like a hand in a glove. And it was the chief priests of the day that got people to yell, Crucify him! Crucify him! I see a great deal of ceremony carried out about the burning of this this red heifer. The heifer was to be slain without the camp, the Bible says there in verse 3. 
and, a, and it was as an impure thing. And yet to answer this type, our Lord Jesus Christ being made sin for us, that's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 22, he suffered without the gate. Take your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 13, if you would. Hebrews chapter 13, I know many of you know this place in Scripture, but I want you to see it this morning. As that red heifer was burnt outside of the camp, Jesus Christ himself, he suffered without the gate. He suffered without the gate. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, Wherefore Jesus also, you see that? Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Aren't you thankful that he suffered without the gate, just like that red heifer was burned outside the camp? But notice the admonition in verse 13. If you and I are here today and we're saved, we know that that red heifer had to be burned outside the camp. We know that Jesus Christ suffered without the gate. So now likewise, you and I are supposed to do what? Look at 13. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. You see, outside the doors of this wonderful church here is outside the camp. The camp here is where we enjoy fellowship with one another. Amen. The camp here is where we enjoy singing, preaching, and getting things right with the Lord, and good fellowship, and sometimes good food, and fun coming up down the road with youth rally. But the moment you walk outside that door, you are outside the camp. And that scripture says, just as Christ suffered without the gate, you and I are supposed to take that reproach of Jesus Christ, and we're supposed to bear it outside the camp. That's what you and I are supposed to do. You know what one of the Christians' biggest fear is? Taking any reproach for the name of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that Jesus Christ, when he came, wasn't so worried about what everyone thought about him. I'm so glad when he came to do the will of the Father, because he says over there in Psalm chapter 40, verse 7, he says, Lo, I come to do thy will. He says over there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. He wasn't worried about what somebody said or whether someone took a track from him. (laughs) He just came. He says, I delight to do thy will. He said this in the book of John. He says, I do always those things which please my Father. And so the Bible says, Paul says in Hebrews chapter 13, let us go therefore outside the camp bearing his reproach. Christian, I'm telling you what, as the heifer was burnt, as Christ was slain outside the camp, we've got to learn to go outside of the camp. And bear his reproach. As a Christian body, as a Christian people, we've got to reprogram our brain to realize that what Christ went through for us is what we'll face out there. We'll face the mocking. We'll face the ridicule. And no, you're not always going to be right. Amen? has nothing to do with always being right. has to do with, do you name the name of Jesus Christ? Do you associate with the blood that was shed? Have you been blood washed? Then you walk outside that door and there's going to be reproach. And it should never be from the brethren, but sometimes it will be. But you've got to keep moving forward. You've got to bear the reproach. I see a great deal of ceremony in the burning of it. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered for us. Eliezer was to sprinkle the blood directly before the door of the tabernacle in verse 4. And in verse 5, we see that the heifer was to be wholly burnt. Wholly burnt. To me, this typifies the extreme suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, both in soul and in body. I'll give you Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. I know you know the passage real well. The Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul 
an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Have you ever stopped and considered that the Lord was pleased when his own son was crucified? That's hard to understand, isn't it? If one of you were to lay a hand on one of your children, we would probably meet a new side of you that we would never want to meet again. But yet the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Why? Because when He sent the Son, it pleased Him. It pleased Him to bruise Him. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. What a great deal of ceremony in the burning of it. And the burning here, I see, it just typifies both the extreme pain and suffering, not only in body, but in soul. The Bible says over in Acts chapter 2, verse 27, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. I believe when Jesus Christ died on that cross for us, I believe His soul was offered up as an offering in hell, as the Scripture says. He says, And thou shalt not leave my soul in hell. You go over to Psalm chapter 22, and you read that account. That is a messianic psalm about the soul of Jesus Christ suffering in hell for you, coming through that thing for you. He tasted hell just for you and me. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, I don't care what you believe. That's what the Bible says. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He suffered. His soul was giving as an offering for your sin. Not only that, but you know he suffered in his body. He suffered in his body. They put the crown of thorns on his head. They beat him with the reed. They buffeted him. They struck his face. The Bible says that his visage was more marred, so marred more than any man. You say, what does that mean? That means they beat him so bad they didn't even recognize him. Now let me tell you what, I might have been beat a few times in my days, but they always recognized who I was. But they beat the Lord Jesus Christ so bad they couldn't even tell who he was. And you know why he did that? For you and me. Just like that red heifer had to be taken outside the camp and wholly burnt. It says in verse 5, Jesus Christ suffered without the gate. His soul was given as an offering in hell for us, and his body was given as an offering for us physically. And in this burning, if you look in verse 6, you see a couple things in that passage that catch my eye. In verse 6, we see the cedar wood. We see the hyssop and the scarlet. And to me, they just simply remind me of Calvary. I can't prove it. I can't prove that uh, the cross was made of cedar wood. Now, if you live in the south, they say that Jesus, he was crucified on a dogwood tree. (laughs) I don't know whether that's true or not. I just know we went down and did a tree job way down in southern Florida and we about got our heads removed because we actually cut down a dogwood. Man, they about worship them things, don't they, brother? They worship dogwood trees. But in the passage it says cedar wood. You notice also in that passage, I believe it's around verse 6 there, it talks about the hyssop. Does that sound familiar? Hyssop shows up at the cross, doesn't it? Hyssop shows up at the cross there uh, on John chapter 19, verse 21. The Bible says, Now there was a set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. That's at the end, right before Jesus Christ was getting ready to say, It is finished, thank God. They put a sponge and they put vinegar on it, and they put hyssop, kind of a medicinal thing to ease the pain. And would you believe it, at the worst state that Jesus Christ was ever physically, he denied a way to have less pain. 
I'd be like, give me something now. But not Jesus Christ. He was offered the hyssop. There it is, verse five or 6. Not only the hyssop, but you see the scarlet shows up in the passage. The scarlet shows up in the passage. Matthew chapter 27, verse 28. The Bible says, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. These things show up at the cross, and like I said, I can't prove that the cross is made from cedar. It's just conjecture, just surmising here this morning. But you see the hyssop show up in the book of John, and you see the scarlet robe put on him by the Roman soldiers. Everything points to Jesus Christ. The red heifer is a true and beautiful picture of a great deal of care employed for the sacrifice more than any other sacrifice. And you know that to be true if you're saved. You know He is the only pleasing sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not just for our sins, but the Bible says for the sins of the whole world. Finally, I want you to see here this morning the great deal of cleansing power that is committed through the sacrifice. You see a great deal of care employed in getting the sacrifice together. You see the great ceremony and all the things that they had to do and the types and what it recognizes. But I want you to see, and what I want to stick with you this morning, is the great deal of cleansing power committed through the sacrifice. I never really understood it uh, uh, until I really started digging in and slowing down. And, and I must confess, I've read the Bible over 30 times. It's not a braggadocious. I'm sure many of you have read it many more times. But I never understood that the ashes of this heifer were put up from generation to generation. For whatever you think about tradition, it doesn't matter. I understand it's not Bible. But tradition states that only one red heifer was burnt between Moses and the time of Ezra. That's a thousand years. But there's enough ashes that was continually dispersed and used for the purification of sin. I don't know if you can see the type starting to materialize here, but I'm telling you there's a lot of cleansing power in the blood of Jesus Christ. The cleansing power of Jesus Christ's blood, it never runs out. And if one red heifer could be a purification for sin for Israel for a thousand years, and then from Ezra to the time of now, they've only gone through eight other, or nine other, eight other rather, so a total of nine. And once again, tradition, whatever you think about, it doesn't matter to me. They say the tenth one will be uh, burnt by the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, is that so? I guess we'll find out. I don't want you to get sidetracked. I want you to see the great deal of cleansing power committed through the sacrifice. I want you to notice, first of all, here this morning that all employed in the service of this were unclean. In verse 7, the priest was unclean that served. In verse 8, he that burneth her was unclean. And in verse 10, he that gathered up the ashes was unclean. It's a lose-lose situation. You say, why? Well, likewise, all that put Christ to death were unclean, even though God knew it was going to happen that way. Can I tell you this morning that you were one of those people that put the Lord to death? And if you've never partaken of the blood of Jesus Christ, you're guilty. You're unclean. If you've never had the blood applied, and you see the picture of that of blood being sprinkled, right, in the passage, if you've never had the blood applied to your life, then you are unclean. Everyone, even the priests that serve, that's a crazy thing, but, 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 but you mean I'm unclean serving the Lord? Hey, you can get unclean serving the Lord. You cannot walk through this world and not have this world rub off on you. 
It can't. You can be as clean as a hound tooth squeaking out of here on, on Sunday morning, and by the time Monday afternoon rolls around, you are just dirty as a pig in the mud, aren't you? That's the way it is. And you try to stay clean, it don't matter. This world is rotten, this world is wicked, and you're going to get dirty. But thank God, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. I'm telling you, there is cleansing power in the blood of Jesus Christ today. The blood of Jesus Christ, 1 John 1, 7, cleanseth us from all sins. It either doesn't cleanse at all, or it does cleanse from all. The priest was unclean, he that burneth her was unclean. And he that gathered up the ashes was clean. Notice the cleansing power. Just some quick thoughts here to try to bring this to a close. That cleansing power, it comes on the third day. He's purified on the third day. You say, what does that mean? I don't know everything it means. All I can tell you is this, that Jesus Christ, he was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And then up from the grave he arose. He was purified on the third day. And then it says, talking about being clean on the seventh day. You say, what is that? I don't know what all that means. I'm just telling you what, when Jesus Christ died for our sins, he arose from the dead because you can't keep a good man down. The best news in the entire world came from a graveyard. He is not here, but is risen. And I'm telling you what, if you trust the blood of Jesus Christ, you'll be trusting that the third day he come up out of that tomb and uh, nothing could hold him down. Finally, notice the cleansing power is put up for generations to come in verse 9. The Bible says, it shall be kept. Now with this red heifer, it was kept for generations to come. Every time someone needed purification from sin, they'd take those ashes and mix it with the water of purification, put some hyssop on the thing. I understand that's Old Testament law, but for generations and generations, they'd go back and get a small amount. Why? Because all it takes is just a little bit of Christ's blood to cleanse you from all sin. It never runs out. It never runs dry. Christ's blood, can I tell you this? It's still at the mercy seat. And this purification for sin was sufficient for the entire congregation in verse 9. Look at 9. It was sufficient for the entire congregation. And lo and behold, here's verse 10. Don't miss it. It's sufficient for the stranger. You see, Christian, as you go through this world, you're going to get dirty. And you're still going to need to take a blood bath every now and then, aren't you? It's sufficient for the entire congregation in verse 9. But how about maybe you're here today and you're not saved? Maybe here today you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never been blood washed. You really didn't know what it meant. You didn't know what it was about. You've heard something about it. But you've never trusted Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says it's sufficient for the stranger that sojourneth. If you just happen to be here today without Jesus Christ and you're sojourning with us until we're done, you can trust Christ today and get saved. And just like Israel had to turn to that red heifer, you can turn to the red blood of Jesus Christ and be saved from your sins once and for all. The interesting part about this is every time a family got unclean, they didn't have to go butcher another heifer. It just took one. And when Jesus Christ died, he died once and for all. Once and for all. As we close this morning, would you consider the great care 
that was taken to choose Jesus Christ as your sacrifice. Will you consider the great ceremony involved in his death and everything that went into it? And finally this morning, would you consider its cleansing power that is still at this moment clinging to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ? As my wife comes to play the organ for a few minutes, Christian, when was the last time you cleaned up and took a trip back to the cross? When is the last time you just thank God for that shed blood of Jesus Christ? And like I said, maybe you're here today and you're lost. Wouldn't you like to be made free from your sin by trusting in the shed blood? You see through that chapter, not only is it physical sin, but it's the guilt of sin. Christian, let me tell you what, if you've got a guilty conscience this morning, it just takes the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not saved and you've got the guilt of sin on you, all it takes is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse you from that sin and the guilt of sin. Why don't you come? Why don't you come up here to this old-fashioned altar and thank God for the blood. Thank God for the sacrifice. And it only took His sacrifice to save us from our sins. Will you come this morning? As she begins to play, will you thank God for the sacrifice for sins? This purification for sin is laid out in Numbers chapter 19.